Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for downloading this time what it's like being freelance for freelance coach Ebony Allard. Although business looked great from the outside, I was miserable. It shouldn't be your whole life. It's almost in those moments of downtime that we get our best inspiration or we do our best work. Learning really that saying no to something means saying yes to something else. And you only have the same 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week as everybody else. We get to choose how we spend them, but sometimes it doesn't feel like a choice. All people want is to know, like and trust you. Once people know, like and trust you, they'll buy from you. People buy people. Yes, hello, welcome to another episode. Now, this week's guest is Ebony Allard, who has had a whole career of various freelance jobs. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff to come, hopefully, but also now coaches freelancers. So she is a self-employed coach helping self-employed people. Yeah, a lot of insight to gain, I think. I'm really looking forward to chatting to her. I hope you enjoy this as well. If you do, please do share it with those that you know. Please also leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Spread the word. Uh, join us on Twitter at Being Freelance. And of course, the website is beingfreelance.com. Have a listen to some of the other episodes. We've got loads of guests now. And whether you think you align to their career or not, you know, like you might think, I'm, I'm not a web designer or I don't create videos or whatever. It doesn't matter. Trust me, you will gain something from listening to their experiences. This is about being freelance rather than the technical side of what they do. Anyway, let's get on chatting to Ebony. Hey, Ebony. Hi. Thanks for joining us. So why don't we get started by talking about how you got started? Okay, so you're right. I have uh, done all sorts of jobs. I went to Central School of Speech and Drama and I trained as a scenic artist. And I never really intended to go into theatre, was always really interested by film uh, and the stories and the lifestyle that went with that. So I ended up in the art department. And um, it's not an industry and a job that there are hundreds of jobs and that it's really consistent. So I also had lots of temp roles and I worked hundreds of temp jobs for all sorts of different companies. Um, And I did that until about five, maybe six years ago. And then I left that and started my own company called My Girl Friday. And that was a personal assistant and virtual assistant company. And we worked with creative uh, businesses, but also with high net worth individuals who needed extra time and someone to to do things for them. So that was kind of a freelance role as well. Um, And then I had a sort of semi breakdown, which I like to call my breakthrough, um, and (laughs) retrained with Coaching Academy and became the entrepreneur enabler. And and so now I coach uh, freelancers, business owners and entrepreneurs to have uh, lives that feel as good on the inside as they look on the outside. So obviously, when you're working in the art department and stuff like that, that's you know, TV film, that's freelance um, uh, in itself. But you you ended up sort of doing freelance virtual assistant work. Yeah. So how, how did you find that? I absolutely loved it. I could see a need for it. So I, so I decided to do it. Um, and at that time, no one knew what a virtual assistant was. And it was very difficult, actually, to get people to trust that you would do things if you weren't working in their office. It was a really weird and transitional period, 2009. And a lot has has changed since then. And nearly everybody knows what a virtual assistant is. And and what's fantastic is how the world has created uh, niches and you can get a very specialist person who's going to do exactly what what you need to do. So um, 
because it was early days in that world, we I did all sorts of everything. Um, and then I ended up growing it and, and taking on um, other freelancers or, or kind of putting the right freelancer in the right job for the right person. Um, so I loved it. I was also very into social media. Um, I think I was one of the very first people to have a Twitter account, not the Twitter account I have now, but one that I started and was playing with. So I got a lot of my freelance work with, um, I like to affectionately call them geeks, but people who uh, were embracing technology and understood the idea of a, of a virtual assistant and were happy to work with me having never met me. So would you actually go after clients on Twitter? How did that work? For, for, for that period of time with My Girl Friday, which was my company, um, 90% of our new business came through Twitter. And that's ever so slightly changed now. Only it's, it's spread across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and word of mouth. So it sounds like that was really growing. Like you, you stepped onto it at the bottom of the curve. The curve was going up. Uh, so how come you stepped off it? why I stopped a company that was doing fantastically. And it was, it really, really grew. We were winning awards. I had 17 freelancers working for me or with me at the height of My Girl Friday. Um, and, and, then, and then I had my breakdown, stroke breakthrough. And mostly that was because, although business looked great from the outside, I was miserable and I had forgotten about work-life balance and I'd forgotten about who I was outside of my job. Um, my Girl Friday had a kind of persona. So she was this um, kind of slightly 1950s professional wife, couldn't do anything wrong, kind of think Mary Poppins, but a bit more sassy with tattoos. And <laughs> I... Uh, There's a film. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, And I kind of ended up thinking I I really was that. Like I really, I became her. And that allowed absolutely no space for error, um, for a social life, for getting things wrong, for down days, for, yeah, for all the stuff that that we also have to have. Um, So I crashed really badly. And this is something I, you know, you you hear about. There's a lot of pressure on you as a freelancer you want to be doing it but it 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 can all just snowball yeah I think there's two things I think that passion is awesome (laughs) and it shouldn't be your whole life because when it is your whole life there's no room for anything else and and it's almost in those moments of downtime that we get our best inspiration or we do our best work. I know for myself that if I'm up against a deadline and I haven't left a computer for 15 hours, the work I produce is, is not going to be great. But if I step away and go for a walk or go to a yoga class or you know do something for me, it's amazing how many ideas suddenly appear in my brain and, and how fresh I am when I come back. But also um, burnout. You know, we, you just can't work. It's not good for us to work all of the time and because of the nature of being self-employed or being a freelancer of if I don't work I don't earn I know so many freelancers who don't feel able to say no to stuff because you know tomorrow or next week there might not be another offer and I think that's really difficult for people to manage also 
I don't know whether this is a known term, but I really was a people pleaser. Like I, I just didn't want anyone not to like me. I needed, I needed everyone to like me. So I said yes to everything. And, and I see a lot of people doing that as well. And I, and I think that that's one of the things that I enjoy the most about coaching people now is, is actually teaching them to say no and seeing the pit, the fear in people's eyes when, they know that that's what we're going to be doing, that I'm going to get them to practice saying no to stuff um, and learning really that saying no to something means saying yes to something else and, and getting your priorities straight and working out what it is that you really want to be saying yes to because you only have the same 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week as everybody else and we get to choose how we spend them but sometimes it doesn't feel like a choice and for me that was very much the case. It just it didn't feel like a choice. I didn't feel like I had options and actually kind of ending up with with nothing and needing to start again showed me how many options I could have. It's amazing how the universe sometimes will deliver the very thing that you need. So I had I felt like I had no freedom and, and no choice. And all of a sudden, I ended up in a position where I had to get rid of, I kind of ended up homeless and getting rid of all of my stuff and things and had no work. And amazing how much freedom you have then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So what, did you actually have to go for all of that? Yes, I did. But that really doesn't mean everybody else does. <laughs> and, and a lot of what I do now is, is really talking with people about that. Like there is no need for everyone to be the kind of person that has to run next to a swimming pool, sl- you know, slide over and graze their knees before they realise that it's not a good idea. I, I just am one of those people. I have to experience it for myself to really get it. So you're now a coach. So how did you end up going from that point into, you know, doing what you do now? It's actually really simple. One of the things that I was trying to work out when I was building My Girl Friday, because I realised I could only work so many hours. And in order to turn it into a business, I realised I I needed to leverage my time in some way. So that's when I thought I'd help other freelancers get work. And what I found was actually happening was that everyone wanted me didn't matter how much I was kind of selling in air bunnies, somebody else, they still wanted me. And what I realized was that the reason for that was that I wasn't just being uh, an assistant to them, but I was also kind of upwardly managing and coaching them through their process. So rather than just being waiting, waiting for a, a task to be given to me, I was asking them questions. Um, you know, wh- where do you want to go? What's this going to lead to? How else could you do it? What's in the way? Really being the, the curious, nosy person that I am and enabling them to find a way to think better and solve the problems that they were facing for themselves. And I think that one of the reasons why I prefer coaching as a modality to, say, mentoring or just advice generally is that I hate being told what to do. If I get told what to do, I won't do it. Simple as. I'm that stubborn, like literally. And and there's lots of reasons for that. Like scientifically, when we're t- given advice, when someone tells us what to do, our instant reaction is, you don't know me. You're not me. You're not standing in my shoes. You can't see the world as I'm seeing it. And so we get very defensive. But if someone asks us a question instead, then the way that our brains are built, it's our brains, we instantly try and solve it. I think working in the film industry was an amazing breeding, training ground for that. You know, you have to learn to think creatively quickly. Um, so I, I realized I was good at that. And I think all of those things just led, 
to one another and compounded to a place where I thought, well, well, how can I help people with this, with this skill? What can I do with that? And coaching was something that is, is, is a lot more American or is, is a lot more prevalent in the States than it is here, although it's a really phenomenally growing and growth industry over here too. Um, and I knew a few coaches in the States and, and my dad works in the uh, kind of personal development arena. My mum was a yoga teacher, so I was open to all of that stuff anyway. Um, and I found, I did my research and saw who did accreditation. Being someone who has worked outside the box a lot, I wanted to have some kind of certification. I wanted people to be able to trust me and I wanted to know that my skills were up to scratch. So I went and trained with the Coaching Academy, um, who are based in London and are absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend them. Um, and that gave me some structure to the way that I work, but also helped confirm that what I was doing um, in quite intuitively was actually a thing and worked for people. So that is now your freelance business, coaching other freelancers, self-employed um, business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, that, that sort of umbrella. What are the main, I guess, challenges, pain points, call it what you will, that you find people come up against? Uh, predominantly overwhelm and not knowing how to prioritise. Um feeling like they should be able to do it all, feeling the pressure of um, having a six or seven figure business, not really even knowing what that means, but thinking they should have one. Um, women particularly wanting to know how they should be able to fit in family life, work life, a social life, a relationship. You know, there's a lot to, to, to kind of be fitting in for, for everyone. Um, and so those those things, what I tend to find is people come to me with a business problem and underneath that it's not a business problem at all it's a personal problem not and, and not even a problem it's you know it's it's some stuff around them and they're understanding themselves that we can work on and once we've figured out their priorities and once we've figured out what their thinking is that's leading them to believe that they can't have what it is that they want once we can process all of that, then we're able to actually get to the logistics and the kind of uh, working it out and creating a step-by-step -step plan and kind of working and coaching them through each part to get them to where they want. But it very much always starts off with quite an intense um, internal assessment, I suppose. So we need to look at our, ourselves as well as our business. Yeah, well, you are your business. And for a lot of people... Similarly to me with My Girl Friday, they have actually taken on the identity of their business and they're taking it far too personally and, and, it, and it's a business and we need to separate it um, so that there's space between you and the business so that you're able to say no or charge the right amount or, uh, you know, have some contracts in place um, and be saving for your future and thinking about tax and all of those things and have a work-life balance. All of that stuff is really, really important. But when we are so in it, we can't see it. It's that kind of whole wood for the trees thing. There must be lots of different types of coach. You chose to help other freelancers i'm a really really big believer in niching in knowing your market and being a really good at what you do for what for one group of people and there's this a lot of people are really scared of doing that they think that they can solve everyone's problems let's say or that, that they are available for everybody um and this is kind of across industry but the truth of it is you can't really serve 
anyone a hundred percent if you're not really focused on them it goes through all things so from marketing to the, the the message that you're giving out the language that you use all of that stuff if it's focused on one person or one particular group of people it's much easier for them to recognize themselves so for me it's been a little bit of a journey when I started off it was clear to me that I wanted to work with self-employed people of whatever size or, or, or guise that came in because that's what I know you know I've, I've kind of never had a proper job in my life and so it was clear to me that that's the people that I needed to be working with and over the last year and a half it's really honed in and I've my message is so much tighter than it's ever been before and 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 I so I work with misfits I work with people who are too innovative too creative too full of heart to clock in and clock out of a job and that isn't everybody and so there's a lot of self-selection that I do by using the word misfit. Some people say, oh, yeah, that's me. And other people are like, oh, God, that's not me. And, and so there's a lots of little things that we can do like that that help our market know who they are. And when you are coaching people to discover their niche, is there a way for people to think, oh, yeah, I, no, I don't know what my niche is. I work with these people. I work with those people. How do you think people should just inherently know don't think there's any shoulding about it. I think people do know underneath it, really. I think, you know, one of the things that I know to be true is that every freelancer or uh, that I have ever worked with has experienced that gut feeling in their belly where they meet a new client, they have a conversation and something in their stomach says, don't do this. And their head says, need the money. And so they go through it, that process, and they sign on with that client and they start working with them. And then it's a nightmare for whatever reason <laughs> and their intuition or that that thing that feeling knew that it was a bad idea everyone I've ever met has experienced that in some way shape or form and so the flip side of that is like who do you love working with who would it be a joy to work for every single day who if you knew that that's what you were going to be working with on a Monday morning you'd jump out of bed and be like oh yeah I get to work, I get to work with them today that's fab those are that's your niche you just want more of them and because of the internet and because of the way the world works now um not in all industries. A lot of work, freelancing work is, is still very much face-to-face -face and, and out in our real world. But there are enough There are enough people and there is enough work for you in your niche. And if there isn't, then perhaps it's worth thinking about broadening it or having a couple. I like that. Um, now, you, you said how you used um, social media to grow My Girl Friday. Uh, your virtual assistant business and presumably this everything that you've kind of learned along the way through that is now helping you as a coach absolutely yeah my main message with social media is that all people want is to know like and trust you once people know like and trust you they'll buy from you people buy people and so what people often say to me, well, how much personal stuff do I put out? I'm not really comfortable doing that. Don't then. Um, you know, you want it to be personable. It doesn't need to be personal. All you're doing is showing people who you are so that they can kind of look uh, and see and feel like they know you. So some of my clients um, are people who have been following me for three or four years who when I then got in touch with them or uh, sort of said, hey, let's have a conversation in real life. And I'm a big fan of um, taking it 
offline. Um, whether that be having a Skype conversation with someone or going for a real life cup of coffee with them, you know, taking it out of the platform that you met them and, and continuing the conversation is a fantastic thing to do. Um, and then, but they, they've said to me, oh, I've been following you for three or four years. I feel like I know you. What's going on with your book? Have you done this yet? How was Bali? And I have <laughs> no idea who these people are, um, but it's fantastic. And now it can, it's also a little bit weird, um, <laughs> but, but it's a great way for people to, to build a level of trust with you um, and to see your work. It's a little bit when you're like when you're a writer, um, people often say, show, don't tell. And it's, that's what social media is an opportunity for you to do. It's an opportunity for you to show your potential clients what it is that you do and who it is that you are rather than telling them. Because a lot of freelancers hate um, sales and, and selling. And, and it's, I've just written a blog about this actually, but it's if when you're describing and trying to, to sell the details of what it is that you do, no one's interested. But when you can um, tell them the benefits of what it is that you do, people begin to listen. And so it's a mixture of describing the benefits of, of what you offer and just allowing them to see how you operate and who you are and, and what it is that you do. So is blogging a key part of that? You mentioned your blog there. Yeah, for me it is. But I would. my thing is don't necessarily feel like you have to do it all do the bits that really that you enjoy and that work for you so podcasting like that you're doing is a fantastic way of reaching lots of people um doing youtube videos is a great way of of meeting people writing blogs is just you know tweeting whatever it is that works for you you don't and i i'm gonna say it again but you don't have to do it all i get people coming to me and they've got you know they've opened an instagram account and they've got a facebook page and a twitter thing and they've started blogging and they're doing none of it consistently and so my biggest takeaway with social media is pick one thing and do it consistently and then once you get really comfortable with that and if you really enjoy it and you want to add something else into it then do so but please don't start everything at once because you'll do nothing properly or well and you probably won't enjoy it and did you start to grow for example an email database because obviously if these people are reading your blogs and stuff they want to find out more it's kind of like keeping them with you rather than letting them run free, I guess. Absolutely. Your biggest asset is your mailing list. Stay in communication with the people that are interested in what it is that you have to say. Finding a way to do that that feels right for you and uh, is right for your people is really important. So I started off writing a, a newsletter a few years ago and that didn't really work for me I didn't feel like I had any news no one wants to read news there's so much in our inbox anyway you know and so it's finding your own voice and what's right what's right for you I, I know a wonderful creative freelancer who um, has a, a, a weekly newsletter which is called the Sunday Dispatches and he curates um, all sorts of other, other people's work and puts that in his and I have uh, something called the Monday Pep Talk which does exactly what it says on the tin but is a little bit of pep in people's inbox and it's sometimes funny and sometimes what I'm thinking about sometimes quite serious but it's short and sweet and to the point and uplifting and a little bit inspiring for the week ahead so I would say it's really good idea to have to grow a mailing list but think about what it is that you're doing with it don't just again don't just do one because you think you should have one what's the point what do you want people to get from it 
What if somebody thought, I, I know, I'll, I'll add that email list to my, you know, the sign-up form to my website, and that looks easy enough. Um, and then, like, one person signs up, and they thought, oh, man, now I need to start writing my newsletter. And and then, like, they, they feel like they're only sending it to one person or ten people or, or whatever that might be. That That might not feel like a great use of their time. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely do. For me, if... If I just change one person's outlook, then I've done my job for that day and it was worth it for me. Just the way that I would think about it in the beginning is that if that one person really enjoys what you've written, they'll tell this other person and then they would read it and then they would tell someone else and it can grow very, very quickly. And everyone started somewhere. You know, it's very easy to think that success and big lists come overnight, but it took Nearly all of the successful people that you see out there, it didn't happen overnight. It's like that kind of iceberg thing or the swan thing. You know, it may look very small on the top or graceful up above the water, but there's a lot of work that goes into that. Nice. Yeah. Um, now, I'd like you to tell me three stories about yourself. Make two true, one a lie, and I'm going to figure out the lie. Okay. One of my many, many jobs was working in the coroner's office where I witnessed a post-mortem. I once accidentally stole Benedict Cumberbatch's mobile phone. (laughs) And I got caught trying on Madonna's shoes. Wow! Cool! Um, (laughs) How did you end up stealing Benedict's phone? It was... I didn't mean to steal his phone. I just wanted to steal his coat. <laughs> um, it was kind of before he was like as famous as he is now. Um, and I was at a wedding and he was at a wedding and oh. I uh, thought his phone was my phone and I put it in my pocket. And did you leave with his phone? Yeah. Was it only when, when you started getting calls from Moriarty that you realised... <laughs> No, it was when I went to phone a taxi that I realised it was not my phone. Because you couldn't get into it? Because it had a different picture, a screensaver on it. Right, and then uh, you got caught trying on Madonna's shoes. Now, there's no way to get around that. Surely you couldn't pretend that you thought they were your shoes just sitting on a table, and it was only when you went to run for a taxi that you realised... Okay, I have to tell you something. Madonna's feet are a size smaller than mine, so not only did I get caught trying on her shoes but I couldn't even finish putting on the heel that I had in my hand because it's smaller than my foot. Where, Where were you? you? <laughs> um, on the set of a commercial. So you snuck into her dressing room? No, I bought... I was a buyer at the time and I bought shoes from a high street store to dress the wardrobe that was supposed to be her wardrobe. She came in and saw it and said... These are not good enough to be my shoes. So sent her assistant home to get her shoes. And Madonna is or was an idol of mine. And there was no way I was going to not try her shoes. Yes, yes, what we all think, isn't it? (laughs) We all think when we... I remember when I met Fern Britton, I thought, man, I've got to try on her shoes. Yeah. So who caught you wearing her shoes? A whole set full of people. It was caught on camera. On camera? I've never been so embarrassed. I jumped on the floor <laughs> with her trying not to throw her shoe around. And um, yeah, it was messy and silly. And you you witnessed a post 
Mortem, how did... I don't really want to ask what that was like, but surely you didn't have to witness. When you work for the coroner's office, they show you a box of photographs to try and scare you. And then if you can get through that box of photographs from crime scenes without um, throwing up, then they kind of offer you the next stage, which is to come into the mortuary. I was really curious and I had worked on things like Silent Witness and wanted to have a better understanding of of what was going on. So I was really, really curious about it, but it isn't a job that I could ever do. Man, you are such a good liar because (laughs) all of those are convincing. But I am going to go for Benedict Cumberbatch. And I'm going to go for that because you said you put your... This is purely the only reason, but I think it it brings out the Sherlock in me. And that is the fact that you said you put his phone in your pocket. And I think at a wedding, you wouldn't have had a pocket and you would have put it in a handbag. (laughs) So that is my... I don't think you stole Benedict Cumberbatch's phone. You're right. Yes! (laughs) Get it in! I'm starting to get good at this! Brilliant. Okay, so if you could tell yourself one thing about being freelance, um, you know, that you've learned over years, your younger self, what would you say? Learn about money earlier and trust that whatever you're doing now will make sense later. I spent a huge amount of my early career being told by, by tutors and by other professionals that I needed to pick one thing and stick to it. And actually now in the career that I do, having worked in so many jobs and industries and with all sorts of different people, has been a huge asset to my business. It means that I'm really able to understand and empathise with the clients. But at the time, it made no sense at all. And the money thing, you know, some of us are really into money and some of us, it's just a means to an end. And I'm kind of one of those people and yet I have now sort of learned a system of, of how to put money away and how to, to, to save it and how to make it work for me. And I wish I'd learned that earlier. What system do you have in place? We heard about Ollie's spreadsheet on a previous episode, his, uh, his magical uh, spreadsheet obsession. There's a wonderful guy called T. Harv Ecker who wrote a book called Success of a Millionaire Mind. And he has a process with... Um, one, two, three, four, five, six different categories to put money into. And he says to split your money so that you have 55% of it going into your necessities account. And then you put 10% into a financial freedom account. And that is an account that you put 10% into and you never, ever spend. It's your golden egg, your golden goose. You can... um, it's an asset and you will invest it in a way that accumulates and makes money for you, but you never spend it. Then you put 10% into a long-term saving to spend account. And that's where you might save money for a mortgage or a car or a holiday or, you know, something that you want to save for. And again, you put 10% in each month. And then when you're ready to spend it, you spend it and then go back to putting 10% in there. You put 10% into a play account. And that is for you to spend every single month on whatever you want that's fun. For people like me, it's only 10%, not 50%. 10% (laughs) of what you earn goes into that one. 
Um, and then 10% into an education um, fund, which is for you to learn more, develop your skills, um, continue with your professional development and, and that kind of thing. Um, and that leaves you 5% uh, left. And if you are someone who can put 50 into the necessities, then you can make this 10, but it should be a minimum of 5%, which is to your give account. Um, and that is for um, giving to charity or giving to causes or you know giving back in some way. And it's a system that has really, really worked for so so many people um it's yeah it's a really nice way to just and you and you do it kind of without realizing some of the banks are now set up that you can make standing orders and, and have all of that happen when you get paid um so it's uh yeah it's changed the way that money works in my bank nice very good thank you so much for your time today where can people find you online entrepreneurenabler.com and then Ebony Allard on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Cool. Links as ever are on beingfreelance.com. Uh, and if you've enjoyed this, uh, reach out to Ebony and share it with people. Tell people to have a listen and uh, hear some of the great stuff that she's been saying. And really appreciate it. Best of luck being freelance. And more than that, best of luck helping everybody else be freelance. Thank you so much, Steve.